Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How's everyone doing on Monday? All right. First years just had a great experience. They got to do a little uh, mouthwash in class and put it, or try to put it back in little tubes. Well, I'll thank Jody for that. She's not here. I don't see her. Um, didn't go so well for me. I'll just own that fact. Welcome to today's convo. I am Bill Bourne, Vice President for Student Life and Dean of Students. And today we're going to discuss the topic of culture for service, beer for pleasure. Now, to give it a little context, um, this convo falls in the midst of a whole series of wellness themes that we try to incorporate in convocation each year. Uh, we touch on this one in the fall, and you can see by this list, uh, through the fall and into spring, there are multiple themes and topics we try to cover. So that's why this is the theme for today. That's why this is the topic we want to address in this broader educational context of convocation. Now, before we get into the conversation about this issue at Goshen College, I just want to set a broader context. Uh, this issue of alcohol is much broader than colleges and universities, broader than Goshen. It is a societal issue, and I think we all recognize it as such. Uh, it is big business. It impacts all of our lives, maybe our families, maybe friends, in a variety of different ways. So that's the first thing I just want to note. Um, and to, to try to personalize that a bit, I want to ask you to take 15 seconds to just think about where maybe the first time you encountered the issue of alcohol uh, in terms of impacting you personally, where did that take place? Nobody's gonna have to answer, I just want you to think about it within that context. I was struck in the ICC-LC class that I'm a part of when I asked this question, and students anonymously responded uh, multiple uh, points of contact. One was six, one was eight, one was 12, a lot of family connections, a lot of context with friends, and a couple with college. Point being, it's a societal issue. It is also a college issue. It is big business among higher ed educators, uh, this whole theme of alcohol education. Uh, it's because it's a big issue. Uh, it does impact colleges and universities across the country uh, in multiple ways. And these are just some figures that reflect that reality. Now, I do want to make the point. Uh, this could be seen as startling and shock. Uh, but the point is uh, this. I think at Goshen College, Relative to these numbers, we do relatively well, proportionately. I do think our student body, our campus, is, is much more responsible than most, the average uh, university and co uh, college campus. But I do also want to note that we're not immune to these realities, that some of these things uh, do impact us in critical ways and do take place here, which is another reason why we need to have this conversation and talk about it as a campus community. Closer to home yet, um, what did I push? There we go. Uh, as we talk closer and closer to Goshen College, sometimes we think about this issue in the here and now. Uh, is it just an issue for the folks in this room? Uh, my answer to that question is no. Uh, this is a historical issue on most colleges and universities, and that's the same uh, truth for Goshen College. So here, for example, uh, is a letter that uh, was found in our archives. Joe Springer found this many years ago, shared it with me, uh, dated 1907, 
That's a while back. Um, a letter of dismissal to a student uh, for doing two things, uh, drunkenness and attending the Goshen movie theater downtown. <laughs> that is some scary stuff. All to say, the college has been working with this many years. You're not the first set of students for whom this is something that's been talked about, processed, and engaged. The other thing I want to note uh, is, even in the midst of this conversation, uh, we have to acknowledge that on a personal level, uh, there is a broad spectrum of position and practice. Uh, and this is where, really, this conversation gets complicated, because the institution has a clear statement, always has and likely will for some time to come, and that is that we are a dry campus. Uh, that there is not to be alcohol on campus. And so um, when you take into account sort of the different spectrums related to both the values that we have and we bring and then our personal practice in the context of a dry campus, sometimes there's difference. And, and that's where the converse, uh, conversation can get complicated. Now I would just note, um, you know, these, these different perspectives are driven by different things. And so if you think of your own families, your own faith, your own experience, uh, your own personal choices, you'll recognize it varies a great deal. So I just want to note that in the midst of this context. There's the personal, and then there is the institutional. And sometimes that, that tension between community and personal choice is the conversations that we often have around this issue and a few others. So back to this culture for service, beer for pleasure, the audacity to suggest our motto and that practice go in the same line. Where did that come from? I know when I proposed this, there were a few questions that came my way uh, from peers. Uh, I think it caught the attention of Senate when I referenced it. Um, and, and so a bit about this theme and this title. There is culture for service, a picture of me I did not anticipate, and there's beer for pleasure. <laughs> Another picture of me I did not anticipate. So what is this? This is a bottle that was found on campus last fall, brought to my office. Um, God bless Bruce. He thought he found the, the find of the weekend uh, when he brought it to me. Uh, and we had a great chat. Point being, um, somebody else came up with this line, and somebody else put it in print, and then chose it uh, to go with my picture on this bottle. And you can kind of see the tagline over the label. Uh, culture for service, beer for pleasure. What it offers is, I think, uh, somewhat of a humorous but also candid, real way to begin the conversation because clearly somebody uh, has incorporated those two themes uh, related to each other. So how do we want to do this convo? I am just about done speaking as, as part of the intro. Um, I've worked with Senate and with Shar, and we have a set of folks that will be serving as panelists. You can see who they are. Joe Lichty, Jason Samuel, Shar Hostetler, Pam Miller, and myself. Uh, in, in working with Senate, I invited them to emcee this convo and to come up with questions that would be relevant for students, uh, things that you might be interested in knowing or having us engage as part of this conversation. So that's the plan. Uh, I would just note that we have a limited time. And um, with that, we'll probably give short answers, synopsis of our perspectives, and would just invite that if you have additional questions or want to push out themes further, don't hesitate to catch any one of us. But I would also note that part of the intent of this convocation is to engage conversation among you as students, 
We want you to talk about this issue because you're the ones who live with this uh, and engage with each other much more closely day in and day out on these themes and these issues. So with that, I'm gonna invite the panelists up. We'll take our spots, and I think Hans is gonna lead from this point forward. Thank you. All right, well, the questions that we have this morning were written by various students, uh, compiled by Student Senate, and sort of put together. We tried to get a range of very honest questions that the student body will probably, would probably have and want to ask the faculty and teachers. And so um, this morning, uh, we have different questions that are targeted towards different people on the panel based on their background and their occupation, and then some for every, uh, all of them as well to respond to. So, First, I would like to get a response from everyone, and once again, say your name and your occupation, or, and, and also, can you briefly describe your experience with alcohol and or drugs, just to see the spectrum and backgrounds up here. My name is Jason Samuel. I am uh, Assistant Professor of Communication, General Manager of the radio station here on campus, and uh, a graduate of Goshen College, as well as this is my 10th year as an employee. Now, the second part of the question, because I, I didn't type out my responses. So do uh, you want to know my drug and alcohol use now or back then? <laughs> We're cutting through the chase. Here we go. Now. Yeah, now, yeah. Um, I consume adult beverages in the privacy of my own home, in public, um, at least once a week. Uh, I don't drive a vehicle ever uh, if I consume uh, any kind of alcohol. Thank you. Yep. Perfect. And I don't use illegal drugs. <laughs> Good. Just prescription. Just prescription. <laughs> Hi, my name is Pam Miller, and I'm a licensed clinical addictions counselor and a licensed mental health counselor at Oaklawn. Um, the I never drink when I am because of my. Um, occupation. I do not drink anywhere near here. <laughs> I am always out of town if I drink, and if I drink, I drink one beer, and that's probably maybe twice a year. And um, I do not do any illegal drugs either, so um, that'd be it. I'm Shar Hostetler. I work as the campus counselor here, and I um, like an occasional glass of wine with a meal. Uh, Joe Lichty, uh, Professor of Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies. I don't drink alcohol except for situations, and usually intercultural, where I think it would be somewhere between, not accepting a drink would be somewhere between awkward and offensive. Uh, so not much experience there. As for other drugs, I had a high school friend who thought my life couldn't possibly be complete without marijuana, so he kindly gave me a little uh, home bag of his homegrown stash. He grew it on his Amish grandfather's farm. Great story there. <laughs> Um, and I had that in my headboard for, of my bed for a few years, but I could never get around to using it. So I eventually traded it to another friend for Neil Young's Harvest album, which I'd like to make clear was both the beginning and the end of my pushing career. Um, beyond that, as a teenager, I really enjoyed reading the uh, peyote-induced mystical ramblings of Carlos Castaneda without ever feeling any real inclination to try it myself. These days, my drug of choice tends to be ibuprofen. 
Speaking of drugs of choice, mine would be caffeine first and foremost. We won't go down that path too long. We don't have the time. Uh, but that is one item I do need to manage uh, because I do enjoy coffee. Um, personal choices around alcohol. Uh, having watched three older brothers grow up, go to college, uh, and observe, uh, learned quite a bit from them. Um, won't say much more other than to say currently, uh, periodically, we'll have a beer. I uh, have made clear to my family and my children that when that happens, because it's in the context of home and with them, uh, it will be one. Uh, there really isn't ever a need for a second. Uh, so that's my current okay. uh, outlook. Now, I guess the reason that this chapel does come up and like what Bill introduced was um, how alcohol and drugs do impact the Goshen College community. So first, I would like to go to Shar and just respond to, from your experience, how have you seen drugs and alcohol impact the Goshen College community? Well, I have the privilege of visiting with students every year in my office um, who have been affected in some way by the use of alcohol or drugs. Um, and it's not all negative. Um, but it might be that they've had to stay up all night taking care of a friend who was really wasted and was throwing up. Or it might be that a person is figuring out um, how to relate to a person they spent the night with at a party um, um, and trying to figure out like how they're supposed to talk to them after. Are there expectations? Are they to pretend it didn't happen? It kind of messes with people's minds for a little while. Um, I often hear from upper class persons about how good it feels to be of age and to not have to go to the party scene anymore and to be able to go out and choose to have a good drink. Um, sometimes I get to visit with students who are part of the discipline process and they might have gotten busted for underage drinking at a party and then they have to negotiate the college's discipline process, the court's discipline process, and then deal with disappointing their friends, and usually it's really costly and timely. And um, sometimes I meet with a student who's crying and hurt because they were violated by someone who was heavily under the influence and didn't stop when they asked them to. So these are just some of the ways um, that I think people in our GC community are impacted by the use of alcohol or drugs each year. And now broadening the demographic, Pam, um, how have you seen college-age students being affected by alcohol? I have seen um, many students come in who have been expelled from school, who've had to put their education on hold. I have seen, um, in the last um, seven years, I've seen two college students who have been involved in um, car accidents who have killed their best friends. And this is something that they live with for a long time. So this is and everything in between. It is a flip of a coin when you decide to drink or do drugs and what can happen to you, depending on how much you use and how often you use. And then following up on that, um, both of you have alluded it to it a little bit, but do you think the underground nature of drinking at Goshen College makes it more dangerous and colleges across the United States? Absolutely, he just said it. Drinking's drinking, it really doesn't matter. It comes to um, making an informed choice. And to do that, you have to know what you're getting into, you have to have the right people around you, and you have to be able to be in the right state of mind to make that choice. And when you use drugs or alcohol, you change the way your brain works, 
because you're adding a chemical to it that doesn't really belong there. So how can you be who you really are? So does the underground drinking? I think so. I think people um, get scared when someone passes out, doesn't know what to do. Many college students I see have been picked up, passed out on the streets because their friends have left them because they didn't want to get in trouble. So there is this thing of communications and expectations and taking care of other people that I think needs to be broadened between um, college students, the police, and the college that they are attending. I would just follow up a little bit. I, I don't know if I agree that, it, that the underground um, culture, I, I think that it feels like there's a societal message out there um, that says um, that as a young adult, you actually have a right to drink and um, that it's something that you should do as part of growing, as part of what your journey is. And so I think that's a hard one because you're not supposed to be of age until 21. So, um, but I think there's a big um, societal message. Shifting gears a little bit, um, going off of Goshen College's stance, there have to be some religious or cultural reasons behind Goshen College's stance as well. So, uh, Joe, do, you, uh, do any Bible verses or religious reasons shape your perspective on alcohol consumption? Well, no Bible verses, certainly, at least not in any direct way. If there's a teetotaling, abstaining tradition in the Bible, I don't know about it, and certainly Jesus wasn't part of it. Um, but, but ethical commitments derived from faith commitments, from religious commitments, yes, absolutely. Uh, on the personal side, I was about 20 or 21 and a uh, student at Goshen College when I was leafing through the New York Times for 1868, as history majors are wont to do. Um, and I discovered on the front page of one issue that there was an Ohio Mennonite farmer named Joseph Lichty who was suing the Mennonite church. Um, this turned out to be my great-great-grandfather, and the whole sad story turned on his alcoholism, which badly damaged not one, but two families. And of course, that damage is in no way unique to my great-great-grandfather. There's an alcohol-industrial complex out there that is deeply in implicated in all kinds of relational tragedy, health problems, many forms of violence, you could go on and on. So I choose to make my protest against the alcohol industrial complex by not drinking alcohol, which seems prudent for the great-great-grandson of an alcoholic, but I want to make it clear that the protest could equally be made by choosing to drink moderately, and this has been the occasion for me figuring out what the heck do I mean by drinking moderately, and my, I, tentatively I want to say I mean drinking and then stopping short of the point where your judgment starts to get impaired. Thank you. This next quote that I'm gonna read, it was written by John Cloud. He's a writer from Time Magazine who writes every year on alcohol consumption. And this next excerpt from his article um, might represent some of the viewpoints of people in the student body as well. So I'll read it for all of you and then I would like for all of you to re respond to it. Jews, Italians, Greeks, French, Spaniards, Portuguese, and many others typically introduce their children to alcohol beverages at an early age. And they tend to have fewer alcohol-related problems than we do in the United States. In these groups, people learn how to drink from an early age and do so in the safe and supporting environment of the home. Common sense suggests that it's better to learn how to drink in the parents' home than in a fraternity house. 
Groups that have a successful relationship with alcohol demystify it and prevent it from being a highly desired forbidden fruit. Then, instead of promoting alcohol abuse, peers and society expe societal expectations reduce it. Uh, and we'll start with Bill on this end. It's a hefty quote with a lot of points. Um, my response to that would be, um, in terms of, of getting to the, the core of the matter, what, what really at the end of the day is our motivation and intent? Uh, whether um, we can rationalize it of, uh, by way of having not had opportunity till 21 or the college experience or whatever it might be, that's one angle. Uh, but I guess the question I want to pose is if we're making that choice, uh, what's the personal motivation? Uh, what's the intent? Um, and, and even to go a little bit further, um, for those who make that choice, and, and we know there are some in this room, uh, at what point in the week and uh, how much of your time and resources does it begin to consume uh, of yourself before you consume it? And I, I think we just have to ask those questions personally. We have to ask them of each other. Um, and in some respects, that's going to address this point in and of itself in terms of wherever we come from. Um, well, I think the idea of demystifying the notion of alcohol as a terrifying, forbidden fruit makes a lot of sense. Um, and certainly teaching moderate drinking in the context of the home would be one way of going about it. I'd, it's by no means the only way, however. Um, in our alcohol abstaining home, Linda and I demystified alcohol by explaining to our children, we don't drink and here is why. Uh, here are the other honor honorable approach to drink is moderation and here are the family friends who choose that option alcohol demystified. We have two children who drink moderately in social situations and one who abstains. I, I want to add here though that I think Cloud, I didn't read the whole article, but if he's suggesting that this is the main area of mystification around alcohol, he's way off base. Um, I would have thought that the main mystification in our culture isn't alcohol as forbidden fruit, it's alcohol as the most desirable of all possible fruits, as the thing necessary to enhance every social occasion. And I think that's toxic mystification, uh, pushed by that aforementioned alcohol industrial complex. Again, I choose to demystify by abstaining, but it could equally be done by drinking in moderation. Um, as I visit with students sometimes um, in the disciplinary process, I, I sometimes ask a little bit about where they're coming from. And when I hear students say that they've had the opportunity to visit with their parents or that their parents um, either drank moderately or were comfortable with alcohol, or even if they didn't, did allow that to be something that was talked about and, and um, that there was some conversation in a healthy way, I think always that would be more positive. Does it mean that somebody's not going to get in trouble or choose to do things differently than their parents? No, but I think talking about things and in your home is a great beginning. I really don't have too much to add except what they have said, that when you talk to your children, when you talk to your younger brothers and sisters, when you talk, things happen. And that's one of the great things about being human is that we can communicate and we can communicate different experiences. And um, the thing with, um, it doesn't say that the quote does not say that these countries do not have drug and alcohol problems, because they do. 
And I think that sometimes people look at that and say, well, then we ought to do that. I've had many clients who parents have let them drink or smoke weed or whatever in the home. And like Shar said, it doesn't guarantee that they're not going to have problems. If they're seeing me, they have a problem. I don't think I have a problem. Um, just because I drink uh, alcohol, I do it in a, uh, with discretion. Um, sometimes I think we get hung up on, oh, this is Goshen College. It's like no one has sex here and no one drinks. You know, and seriously, I just found out this week that, that is, things aren't true. And I've been here nine, nine years. I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> I think being informed, I grew up in a, in a household where there was alcohol. Um, but we went to church, and it was just, it was just a cultural thing for our family. Um, it's been around my son, my, my wife's family. Um, when I met her, they had a keg in the basement. Uh, literally, they transformed a refrigerator into this fully functioning kegerator all the time. Um, it has to do, I think, with partly all the different reasons that make up who we are. Um, for me, being uh, informed and realizing um, how alcohol affects me helps me make choices, better choices now than I did when I was your age. When I was in college, I intentionally did things I knew were wrong, stupid, dumb, because I wanted to. Because I'm like, I'm going to go do that. And I paid a price for that in, in a lot of instances. Um, I encourage you to not make some of those same choices that maybe uh, you've already done once or twice or you've seen your friends do. Uh, I'm, we're not up here to legislate morality, but, but just to answer some questions. And so this next question will be, how has the party, the party and drinking culture changed since you were in, culture, uh, in college here, here at Goshen College and, and other institutions as well? And, and we'll start this in, uh, Bill, Jason, and Joe uh, for this question. My experiences have been in small um, Mennonite institutions from college uh, through the workplace. Um, and this is my third stop. Um, my, my sense is, um, not a lot has changed uh, in, in some respects. Uh, I do think uh, each institution I've been at has had um, struggles with this issue. I've seen a lot of personal harm. Um, in fact, the uh, institution I attended, my alma mater, uh, lost a student um, many years ago related to an alcohol-related accident, and this past weekend lost another. Um, and, and so when I, I recognize the school of 500 struggling with those things then and struggling with them now, uh, it's real. Um, and, and ultimately, it, it continues to come back to the life of the institution, the life of the student body, uh, how they envision this issue, and, and as some of us have mentioned, sort of this journey and rite of passage issue that has, has been around for a long time and influenced by society. Jason. Sure. Um, First-year students, second-year students, when the seniors tell you don't come to our party because you're not 21, you should listen to them. Uh, that's one of the big things I've noticed as a difference between now and when I was in college. Um, if we were told don't come to this party, then we didn't go to that party. Uh, that's one of the complaints I hear from uh, older students, how they're like, oh, the freshmen showed up, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go away, and they came anyway. We told them not to come, but they came anyway. 
Uh, and this whole thing with recycling, now that we recycle everything, some of you have the audacity to put your empties in like the floor recycling bins, and that's just throwing in the face of the RAs, so don't do that. Um, realistically, I think there was more discretion, not saying there was less drinking, but there was more discretion. Uh, if you went to a party and, and you drove, you handed over your keys. I remember that distinctly. Now, I don't know if any of the parties that you go to are far enough away to drive to. Um, if something went on in the, in the dorms, we didn't have apartments or, or the, the uh, campus housing, it was very discreet. I'm not saying that it wasn't binge drinking or underage drinking, but it seemed like there was more discretion. Did, did people get sick? Did people get violations? Uh, yeah, all those things happened. It just seems as though I can only remember in five years, because I love college so much I spent five years here. <laughs> I remember twice, and it was the same night, that the police happened to stop by places where people were having activities. Um, the police, and, and Bill can speak to this a little bit better later on, they did not seem to come around. It was either that or when we were having those types of activities involved alcohol, it was discreet and it made less of, a, of, of an impact and the neighbors didn't care. Well, um, I didn't participate in the drinking culture, so I don't really know, but I always hate to let ignorance keep me from having an opinion. So um, I'll say that I do have sort of an impression that maybe the standard for what constitutes excess drinking or drunkenness or problem drinking has become significantly looser. But really, I'm usually the last to know about any aspect of student behavior, so I just have to ask Keith Graber Miller what's going on. We have uh, 10 to 15 minutes here left, and I just wanted to cut to these questions here because this is one of the, the biggest questions that I heard uh, voiced by the student body. For Bill specifically, when the policy was made to require four-year residency, did the administration think about the impact this decision would have on the campus in regards to alcohol, and have you noticed an impact? And this is just for the first one, this is four years, you have to live all four years on campus, so people of age were living on campus, but still there's the dry policy, so. Um, and I'll, I'll frame the policy. It's, it's 23 the semester of 112 credit hours or with family. And so there is some flexibility, uh, but it is tighter and so more students are, are back on campus since that decision was made several years ago. Was this uh, issue of alcohol use for those of age 21 um, a part of that conversation? It was not a motivational part in terms of a reason why we should do it. Uh, but by all means, sure, the students at that point in time were here, who were here were asking that question uh, themselves because it mattered to them. So yes, we did talk about it. Um, and I did share with, with several students because I do know for a fact um, that we don't um, intentionally go seeking and searching and looking for issues on campus. Um, but when, for whatever reason, attention is drawn to those events, uh, it might be others in the residence hall uh, it might be noise, it might be uh, who knows what. Um, then we have a responsibility for those for whom aren't amused with whatever's going on. We have a responsibility to respond. That being the case, knowing that we're not looking for it with intentionality, um, I could honestly say, you know, sure, it may impact your use uh, because suddenly now you may have to use more discretion, as Jason referenced. And if that's one of the outcomes of, of this decision to bring more students back to use more discretion, um, 
I said it then and I'd say it now, I'm not going to apologize for that uh, because that's part of what we need to do uh, as we learn and think and live together in community in terms of what it means to be successful. And then regarding violations and then also students interacting with the law with alcohol and drug use, can you say what happens here on campus as far as punishment and then also re the relationship between Goshen College and the Goshen Police Department? For violations on campus, um, there are a couple of different groups that meet uh, in terms of standards response. There's the Res Hall Council, which typically handles first-time incidents, uh, and it is a group representing residents' life, teaching faculty, and the student body. Um, often, uh, the chair of that, which might be Heather or Chad, will work with students one-on-one, -on -one, and students can either resolve it with them individually in terms of an outcome, or they can ask to meet with the committee. Uh, and the same is true of the, the standards response team, which deals with more significant incidents, maybe second or third time violations, or more significant incidents related to any community standard. And you can see those in the handbook. Um, in the same way that we, uh, we work with the Res Hall Council, the standards response team functions in that manner. There are fines. Uh, we have transitioned those over the last uh, 10 years. When uh, I arrived 10 years ago, it was a mandatory $125, no questions asked, uh, and not a lot of educational program or expectations associated to the choice. Uh, we have since um, retained fines as an option, but it's not necessarily a standard. Uh, $125, and we offer community service hours as a means instead of the fine. We also have implemented a number of educational programs and alcohol-wise program, um, which I know it is what it is, an online sort of educational thing, but there is value to it. Uh, and there is learning that goes on, and that's evident in the pre- and post-test data that we get back. So the move has been to, to be less punitive, more educational, to manage it with respect. Um, when I meet with students, uh, I'll make clear that these moments don't define who you are. There's a whole lot more to students in what they do and contribute to this institution than these incidents, but they can be issues. And I guess one point I want to make, since I have the opportunity now, is um, as I fill out grad school references, med school, law school, any sort of reference, even employer references, they ask the question about alcohol use. They ask about community standards, and typically, because I have to, I document what's in the file. So I want to make sure folks here understand that while it is the here and now, and this is the Goshen College piece and, and somewhat of the bubble that we live in, there are implications down the road. Uh, I've done five IU med school references in the last 10 days uh, for graduating seniors. Each one, no issues. Uh, but periodically there are, and I know that's an issue for the admission board. So I want you to be mindful of that reality as you, you think about your personal choices too. It's only fair that I give you that heads up. In terms of the police, um, specific questions related to Goshen police? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, prior to coming to Goshen, I learned the value of having a good working relationship with the local police department in uh, Newton, Kansas. Uh, that works both ways, uh, because often the police don't have a lot of interest in dealing with every bit of information and infractions, so to speak, against civil law. And so to have a working relationship with them matters. Um, in terms of my working relationship, um, you know, we uh, have worked at that every year. I get together with Kyle Prem, who's an assistant chief. I do know the chief of police, and one of the things we always talk about is how are we going to manage these events on and off campus that take place. 
I clearly make my statement that we, um, one, won't get involved and try to intervene if there's something within the community. Uh, once things are off campus, that's not ours to manage institutionally. Uh, and they note that they won't necessarily push agenda on campus. Uh, they'll allow us to manage that as we wish. I would make clear that we don't, and I know that the perception is out there that we do, but institutionally we do not notify the police if we're aware of something off campus. Um, typically, when the police get involved, that's because neighbors have contacted them. And, and neighbors have every right in the community of Goshen um, to make that phone call if it's a disruptive event in their neighborhood. Uh, at that point, it, it really is up to the police to manage as they manage. Um, we really don't have much to say on that front, uh, although I have had opportunity in a couple of instances to have um, personal conversations with Kyle about uh, specific cases from time to time, and I've been appreciative of their response in, in those moments. Okay. We're going to make the quick transition to drug use. Um, these questions are aimed at uh, Shar and Pam. These are two questions that we received. The first one was submitted by a student. I hear that marijuana users experience heightened senses and a feeling of euphoria. Why would anyone ever want to try that? And then, <laughs> in the context of college students, does marijuana have the same negative consequences as alcohol, such as date rape, abuse, uh, driving under the influence, dependency, lifestyle changes, things along that line? And uh, we have about seven minutes here left, so just so you guys know. Why would anybody do that? I want to know why anybody wouldn't. Um, People, when, in my experience, has been, I've been doing this, my occupation for like 15 years now, so um, many people who have trouble with drugs and alcohol, they use because they want to change the way they think and they want to change the way they feel. So um, it isn't, I think the uh, euphoria that they talk about is short-lived and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they, it's a rationalization. Excuse me, a lot of people rationalize what they're doing. Um, many people do not have the skills to handle life on life's terms. And that's one of the things that you have to, that's one of the things you need to learn. And that is a big part of the college experience. And when you use drugs and alcohol, you shortchange yourself of that experience. And then you take, they, what happens is you find yourself using to change the way you think, change the way you feel, because you, this is the easiest or the only way you know how to do that. And that can be changed by, again, by talking to someone, by communications. As far as, um, does marijuana have the same negative effects as alcohol? The only thing that, um, I can say to that is, yes, I've seen people, um, there's legal consequences, there are educational consequences, there's health consequences, there are family consequences, relationship consequences, you name it. It's a lifestyle. And um, what happens there is that um, it's a very subtle thing. It isn't like you're gonna drink one or two beers or you're gonna drink one or smoke one or two joints and, oh my gosh, look at me now. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's a subtle thing that happens o over time. And by the time you get to the point that alcohol and or drugs are a problem for you, you don't really, to, that problem is not something you're looking at. 
because your new normal is now using. So there are consequences the same for alcohol and for marijuana or other drugs. Okay. And then just the final question here, and this is sort of a philosophical question, and I'd like everyone just to quick answer this. Would society be better without alcohol? We could start at that end. Anybody read about prohibition? It didn't work. Um, when, after like the flood and Noah got out of the ark, he built an altar. You know what the first thing he did after that was? He planted a vineyard. So, I mean, alcohol's not going anywhere. So, I mean, and then Noah, what did he do? Can you blame him? I mean, he spent 14 months in a boat. He got hammered. Uh, seriously, study your Old Testament. <clears throat> now, I'm not, I'm not condoning that, and his one son made fun of him, and then they were cursed, but that's a whole other story. Uh, see, I did pay attention here at Goshen College. I did. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't think it's possible for, for us to be without alcohol in this society. I agree. That's all I can say. I agree. If that was never here... That'd be great, but it is here, and it's just something you have to be informed about and make a conscious decision. I think it's one of those things, along with many other things, that um, is here, and we have to like personally figure out what we do to make it not have negative um, impact on our lives. Use it well. Society would be better off if people made one of cho two choices, either not to drink or to stop drinking before their judgment was impaired. I don't think it's a realistic question to answer. I think it is here, um, given my opening statements. I think we've all seen it, uh, both personally and in our families and extended sort of communities, even before we arrived at Goshen. Um, a 20-second soapbox, because I have the opportunity, so forgive me. Uh, but we look around this room, um, and we value a lot of diversity and difference. Um, gender, cultural, talents, gifts, performance, athleticism, you name it. Uh, my encouragement is don't just make it an us-them, a student body administrative policy issue. Make it a value statement among yourselves in terms of what you care about among each other and look after each other. Uh, you have space to make decisions. Every one of us in this room has the opportunity for a choice. Uh, those choices come with outcomes, and, and my encouragement is help each other out with those. Uh, you're going to do a far better job than anybody administratively. Um, and, and so that's my, my tidbit to kind of close. All right. Let's give our panel a round of applause. Thank you, uh, all of you, for honestly answering the questions. I think this was really helpful. Um, and I hope all the, con the conversation continues today. Rachel has quick announcements here for student government. And right after her, you guys can leave just really quick here. Good morning, this is Rachel and I'm Aradna. We are from Student Senate and we have a few important announcements. Uh, Let's Move Michiana is going to be conducting a voting registration on Monday and Friday from 2 to 10, from 10 to 2 on um, outside the dining room and the union building. Okay, and club applications are due tomorrow by 5 p.m. in Ad 14, Shirley's office, or Shirley's desk, and I have some up here if you need to grab one. Club day is Friday from 10 to 3 in the Union, so check it out. There's going to be lots of clubs you can sign up for and get involved. Thank you. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>